everyone. Welcome to another episode of At The Boundary, the podcast from the Global and National Security Institute at the University of South Florida. I'm Jim Cardoso, Senior Director for GNSI and your host for At The Boundary. Last week, Chinese company ByteDance, the parent company of one of the world's most popular social media apps, TikTok, announced they were spending $2 billion this year to protect children and other users of the app. But is it enough? Because also last week, Sho Chu, the CEO of TikTok, appeared before the U.S. Senate along with the heads of other social media apps for questioning and testimony. Currently, there are over 170 million monthly users of TikTok in the United States alone. Over the past 12 to 18 months, the app and, by extension, ByteDance, have come under intense scrutiny across the globe for its lack of security. The U.S. Congress has investigated TikTok, along with other social media apps like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, for a wide range of issues, from data security to censorship to predatory business practices. But it was TikTok that quickly rose to number one on the United States' most wanted list, as lawmakers zeroed in on the app because of the national security risk it represents, along with its ties to the Chinese Communist Party. At the first GNSI Tampa Summit in March of 2023, TikTok was the focus of a presentation from Tom Waters, the Assistant Director of Startups and Business Development at the USF Technology Transfer Office, part of USFRI, USF Research and Innovation. Here's that TikTok presentation on today's At The Boundary. It has been edited for length and clarity. My name is Tom Waters. I'm the Assistant Director for Startups here at USF in the Technology Transfer Office. I've been here for about 18 months now, uh, but I've been a longtime member in the Tampa Bay area for the last 20 years. I'm talking today about social media, artificial intelligence, and national security, which means there's something here to offend just about everyone. Uh, the subject, I think you're all aware, is a popular social media startup called TikTok. If you have teenagers, you already know what TikTok is. If you've watched television, listened to a podcast, or read anything concerning privacy, data collection, or foreign influence campaigns, you probably know just enough about TikTok to be dangerous. I'm going to try and explain what all of the uproar is really all about. Just to set the stage a little bit, the U.S. Army has banned TikTok on all of its devices. Several states have forbidden it on government-provided IT systems. A handful of attorneys general are trying to out-and-out out ban it within their specific states. Amazon has forbidden their employees from using it on any device that also accesses the company email system. And the reason for all of this hand-wringing can be summed up in one word, China. The Justice Department reports that 90% of all economic espionage committed against the United States over the past year, 10 years has been committed by China. 90%. The FBI's website states that confronting this threat is their primary counterintelligence priority. Now, to be clear, I'm talking about the Chinese Communist Party here, the CCP. I am not referring to the Chinese people who have most definitely been victims of the CCP far longer than any of us. Uh, certainly some of our allies, um, Taiwan, Japan, and South Korea, off the top of my head, have had to deal with the Chinese Communist threat far longer than we have, and more directly than we have thus far. With that being said, Beijing has been ramping up its military capabilities completing sea trials of its first homegrown aircraft carrier. 
and conducting drills against mock-ups of a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier and Arleigh Burke-class destroyers in the Taklamakan Desert, which is a missile test range that they've had for a number of years. It's even got a privately operated Top Gun-style Navy flight school in Africa. Now, TikTok is owned by a Beijing-based company called ByteDance. Launched in September of 2016, it has surpassed every other social media platform in annual revenue growth, achieving $12 billion a year faster than YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Initially, it was popular only with teenagers posting 15-second videos of dance moves and silly skits. TikTok invested heavily into more grown-up content, including financial services, video games, and music streaming. The AARP just recently released a manual for their members on how to use TikTok. So it is beginning to skew a little bit older. Though we don't want Google tracking us, we do want Google Maps to tell us about a traffic accident four miles down the road that we, don't, we can't even see yet. Google can only do that because it's tracking everybody who has the app on their phone. You cannot have one without the other. And I think empirically we all know that it is the price we pay for using that platform. But there are national security risks to some of these social media platforms that seem otherwise rather innocuous. For example, Iran's IRGC used LinkedIn a few years ago to go after Defense Department and Defense Aerospace executives by making friends through their families. They only got caught because one of their uh, profiles unwittingly used a photograph of uh, New York Times bestselling author Alexander McCall Smith, who was the author of the number one ladies detective agency series. And from there, the whole house of cards just sort of fell apart. Uh, a young analyst here in Tampa created the middle graphic there. He used data from Twitter to analyze the Arab Spring. He was able to identify the 10 people most responsible for the fall of Hosni Mubarak by analyzing how the protesters found each other on the streets of Cairo. He did that all through open source information freely available for, from Twitter, nothing classified, and despite not speaking uh, a lick of Arabic himself. And finally, on the right, five years ago, uh, a rather telling incident, Russian agents were poaching user data from smartphones in the Ukraine uh, from soldiers, including Americans. Social media apps provided the names of the soldiers' families, and the GPS chip on the phone provided the soldiers' exact location. Some of these agents were walking up to servicemen out on the economy and commenting about family members by name. A very effective bit of harassment, to say the least. Now, I'm not suggesting that the United States, uh, the government, has not used similar software uh, programs, far from it. Uh, I was a part of a team at U.S. Special, Special Operations Command that used predictive analytics to support Special Forces teams throughout the world. Using what was then state-of-the-art analytics, we were able to tell commando teams precisely where to find and when to capture terrorist groups uh, in very dangerous areas. We did so with a correlational statistics software package called Signature Analyst. It blended satellite imagery, communications intercepts, and sociocultural data layers to mathematically map and predict where bad guys were going to show up. Special Forces teams could then shoot, loot, or recruit these people, depending on the operation, and we were extremely successful, receiving several commander's coins and a White House commendation. The system worked, in part, because statistical software systems like this uh, have a unique benefit. They can identify their weak data points. 
They can show an analyst where information is odd or missing or simply incomplete. The analyst can then fill in that missing data and improve the model. In doing so, software like this is able to predict with very high accuracy how successful it will be at identifying whatever it is you're trying to find. In this instance, we were hunting bad guys and we bagged a good number of them, but it was very labor intensive. We had 20 analysts and could only work on one target at any given time. We had very expensive high-end computer hardware that might spend days chewing through data sets. Uh, the biggest data set I recall the guys doing back then was 11,000 layers, and it took almost a week. The problem was the human factor, all of us, the analysts. Uh, you had to have a live analyst to ensure that the results were something that someone could act on. Uh, more often than not, it required repeatedly tweaking a model to get the results into something that a SEAL team could actually act upon. It was extremely powerful, but it was also very slow, outrageously expensive, and singularly dependent on the quality of the analysts who were working the problem. What was state-of-the-art 15 years ago is now available at a local community college anywhere in the country. Cloud storage makes even huge warehouse data warehouses dirt cheap, and the new algorithmic alchemy that's available now makes what we did pale by comparison. TikTok has taken these slow, expensive manual operations and automated them to make them fast and cheap. So let me put this into a context that's a little more um, valuable for some of the folks in this room, for the people this conference is really set for. In his book, The Accidental Gorilla, Lieutenant Colonel David Kilcullen outlined the problem of wresting control of a population away from its own government. Conventional military campaigns pressure adversaries by defeating their armed forces through decisive military engagements, crushing their ability to make war. Population is intentionally detached from this fight, isolated within the territory as much as possible. Action is directed only at distinct military targets command and control centers, fixed weapons platforms, and key decision-making points of the government that are key to combat decision-making. The population is the prize in this sort of conflict. Now contrast this with the unstructured application of irregular warfare. Here the desire to influence or control is the same, but rather than targeting the military apparatus, it is instead marginalized, kept out of the fight completely, if at all possible. Gaining or dismantling support for the government is still the focus and the primary goal, but adversarial military services are sidelined. This is the application of non-lethal instruments of war, which, when properly applied, can be effective in halting or even preventing an armed conflict from taking place at all. So what if, just for the sake of argument, we focus this sort of approach on a population rather than a location. Suppose the goal is not territory, but is instead the hearts and minds of everyone in the territory. In other words, what if the population was the battle space? Where does the population get its information? I once read there are three sources, observation, authority, and belief. By letting go of a baseball, I observe that gravity yanks it to the floor. If I don't have a baseball, but an expert tells me that's what is going to happen, then I have gained knowledge through their authority. If my religious leader tells me it is God's will that the ball is going to hit the floor, I will believe them in the context of my belief system. 
Bill Cullen's model explains what the Taliban did in Afghanistan, manipulating observation and belief to marginalize government authority. When tribal leaders are executed or simply disappear, that's going to be a pretty strong observation point. If religious clerics are compromised into preaching uh, fundamentalist rhetoric, followers have few competing voices to listen to. This was an all too frequent event a few years ago, so it was relatively easy for the Taliban to take over the nation. It demonstrated that manipulating and influencing a population can be done relatively easily if you can control the information they see and hear. This is what alarms American and European authorities about TikTok. Colonel Robert Killebrew is now a senior fellow for the Center for New American Security and he once wrote something I thought was very intuitive. He said, the story you're trying to tell in future conflicts is the strategy by which it will be fought. So if that's true, what is the story with TikTok? TikTok's value comes from its proprietary artificial intelligence algorithm. TikTok assigns emotional qualifiers to the faces it's reading. Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you angry? What's going on? And layers that information in as additional data, again, not provided by the original content creator. You've got linguistic processing. All of the speech and text within the video is captured and analyzed. It's not simply the hashtags that somebody creates when they load the video up. It's all of the language being spoken in the video. It's every sign. It's every caption uh, that's included on the screen. And analyzing that context in the, the in, analyzing that content in the context of what's going on on the screen itself. And finally, behavioral measures. While YouTube and Facebook require you to, to type inputs into their analytic engines, TikTok does this automatically. It evaluates the user's behavior. You don't need to like a video. You're watching what you do while you're watching the video. You stop it before it's finished. You go off to the next one, or do you repeat it and play it again? All of that gets factored into its recommendation algorithm. These three features automate what was a manual activity requiring multiple rounds of data collection from the user and focused analysis by the app on other social media platforms. The result is that within an hour or two, TikTok creates a, a comprehensive psychological profile on the user that discerns their interests, hobbies, relationship status, political views, and more. A video created by the Wall Street Journal visualizes how TikTok analyzes several automated bats, uh, bots that they created to mimic human behavior. It shows how, starting from a very generalized point, users are quickly ushered into specific areas of content like dance videos. Others may be enticed by cooking videos. Arms radiating out from the center represent niche areas of content. Starting with general videos about cute animals, the users then get curated down to something specific about videos like French bulldogs. The Wall Street Journal's programmed identities are batted around on the platform, the mainstream part of the platform, as the AI algorithm continues to tease out whatever it is the bots have been programmed to be interested in. Now, this graphic is based exclusively on the public hashtags that were included with the video clip. It reflects a mere fraction of what TikTok actually has as far as content. Now, this is something, an, an ability that Facebook has been pursuing for years. According to Stanford Business School professor Dr. Michael Kaczynski, these automated AI-generated profiles are more accurate than the ones that have been created by professional psychologists. 
I suspect that's because the underlying data is probably more complete, it's unfiltered, it's nuanced, as opposed to simply filling out surveys and answering a bunch of questions. TikTok refines their model in real time using traditional A-B testing, the way marketing research folks would do, through additional video content that it's offering up, and with the results immediately incorporated into the next selection. Now, because this function is automated, it works extremely fast. The app will make calculated determinations of a user's most likely interests and then queue up options for them. If you remember the standardized testing we all took in high school, they ask you the same question a couple of different ways and at a couple of different times. It's the exact same process. Learning your real interests and mitigating any chance of you gaming the system. The psychographic model is extremely accurate and able to measure the user's extroversion, likableness, neuroses, and agreeableness. Now, these are normally qualified by professional evaluation tools such as the FIRO-B, DISC assessment, or the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. But from this, TikTok knows a person's behavioral tics, their emotional state, and how they will respond to specific stimuli. The algorithm could potentially calculate the best type of information to influence a user's behavior before specific events occur. And this is a good bit of the basis for all the uproar. Users don't have to give it explicit permission to do anything. It is automatically mapping out their psyche to provide the best user experience possible. But the flip side of that is the app could also manipulate the user into doing and justifying a range of disturbing actions, including suicide. Some of the loudest opposition from consumers have been families reacting to suicide and eating disorders that have been queued up on TikTok to vulnerable users. A TikTok's artificial intelligence tool uh, can read news from 5,000 different sources and provide a custom-written 400-word assessment on those in two seconds. A partner at the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz described TikTok as, quote, the first mainstream consumer app where artificial intelligence is the product. And I think she's dead on. While Facebook and Twitter and YouTube require the users to actively participate, TikTok makes its decisions passively in the background when your guard is down. Last year, the Pew Research Center published a study revealing 80% of Americans get their news from digital devices. 86% of adults said they get their information from a smartphone, computer, or a tablet, either often or sometimes. When asked what platform they prefer to get news from, just over half of all Americans, 52%, said they prefer a digital platform news website, podcast, search engine, or social media. Pew's research also showed an overall decline among all social media platforms as news sources, with the exception of TikTok, the only social media platform to see its use as a news source actually rise. If belief is based primarily upon what we read online, then Kilcullen's model is actually alarmingly persuasive and supports the concern that an app with the predictive capability and the power of TikTok is a threat to U.S. national security. TikTok's misdirection potential became very clear to a lot of people during the search for the killer of four college students at the University of Idaho a couple of months back. While police and the FBI immediately honed in on a 28-year-old suspect based on DNA evidence found at the scene, TikTok was awash in false accusations against the roommates, a food truck driver that you've seen on the video, and even a local professor. 
Idaho later joined Alabama, Georgia, and Texas in banning TikTok from the state schools' devices and Wi-Fi. A few years ago, the Trump administration moved to block TikTok unless the company divested its U.S. operations into a separate entity. I believe one of the panels talked about this briefly yesterday. ByteDance's reaction was very, very fast. Though it balked at revealing how the algorithm worked, it did take efforts to improve its public relations. In June of 2020, it hired a Disney executive named Kevin Mayer as its new American CEO. And 90 days later, with the Trump administration still pushing for a sale, Kevin Mayer quit and left. TikTok's U.S. operations were valued at around $30 billion at that time. So Microsoft and Walmart teamed up to make a purchase. But at that point, the Biden administration was inbound, and ByteDance was under very little real pressure to sell anything. The only material change since then has been the move to put U.S. citizens' data on Oracle servers in the state of Texas, though TikTok will still retain data backups in China. Now, some people are going to look at me and say, you know, this is dumb. This is ridiculous. It's simply a database. What's the big deal? Um, let me so, see if a side-by-side -side comparison will give you an idea of how the threat is a little bit different than what many people think. Most of us are familiar with the Internet Movie Database, the IMDB. That's a website that allows you to look up information about TVs and movies. A relational database like the IMDB is a transaction. You look for information, you go in, you get it, and you leave. TikTok is an immersion. It's a platform where you will disappear down any number of rabbit holes, and you're on the app for hours. We were actually talking about that on Sideline earlier uh, this afternoon. This is a significant benefit for TikTok. The business model is very simple. From the early days of television to the radio you're listening to in your car to how Netflix streaming services work, there is a reason why social media platforms operate the way they do. The entertainment business model reflects that sponsors deliver a program to audiences. The program delivers audiences to sponsors. It's that simple. If the sponsors misread the audience, which does happen from time to time, the audience gets ads for products they're not interested in, and the programs don't generally last very long. The same is true for HBO, Hulu, YouTube, Twitch, all the rest of them. Keeping the audience engaged, that is, keeping eyes locked on the screen, is key. If viewers break off, there is less opportunity for sponsors, which translates into less revenue coming to that platform. Moving from sponsors to subscribers does not change them all at all. Keeping eyes on the screen is paramount. TikTok's advantage is that, like a favorite bartender, it knows what you like and how you like it. And so it doesn't wait for you to order anything. It's ready the moment you belly up to the bar. Ayman al-Zawahiri told his followers, the majority of this war will be fought on the information terrain. I think we're seeing that play out on a completely different battlefield. So what does all this mean? Um, Ten years ago, Target Corporation, uh, famously or infamously, depending on how you feel about it, uh, sent coupons for diapers and baby formula to a 17-year-old high school girl in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, her father was very angry, uh, as you might imagine, and he contacted the local store to lodge a complaint. What he didn't know was that Target's market intelligence team had analyzed her credit card purchases against other similar young women of her age with similar buying patterns. A few days later, he called again and apologized. To his great credit, his daughter admitted she was in her second trimester. 
target knew she was pregnant before her own father did. Now, while this so-called surveillance capitalism got a lot of headlines back then, as a nation, we have fallen way behind in artificial intelligence research. Yes, it is a concern for a corporation to predict something as personal as a pregnancy in a 17-year-old girl, but it's another thing entirely for a hostile foreign power to hold sway on 100 million Americans. An investor noted at a recent conference, if data is the new oil, China is the new Saudi Arabia. Some interesting insight. One national commentator shared the text of TikTok's privacy policy on his broadcast one night, noting it accesses information such as a user's mobile apps, file names, and even keystroke patterns. Those keystrokes include your passwords as well as your user ID. So it could potentially pull data from Facebook, from Twitter, from Outlook, and anything else that's on that mobile device. This explains why Amazon did not want their employees accessing the company email from the same device that has Twitter on it. It is capturing user IDs and passwords on everything it can, including remote hard drives or networks. It also captures face and voice prints. Again, it's all there in the terms of service if you take a look at it. That level of additional data and insight opens up supplementary profiling and influence opportunities, including where to best place persuasive stories uh, on other platforms. I can manipulate anyone if I know where they get their information, with whom they share it, rightly or wrongly, and how they adjust their opinions. This lack of transparency in the algorithm is one of the more troubling aspects of the controversy. While U.S. uncertainty over TikTok's American future plods along, other nations are already taking action. In 2021, India banned TikTok from devices within the country because along with 58 other China-based apps for unacceptable data security and personal privacy practices. At the time of the ban, over 200 million Indian citizens were using the app. ByteDance and TikTok have created their own deepfake company. The new feature is called FaceSwap, and it allows users to insert their face on videos created by others. And with the increasing outcry over superimposing women's faces onto pornography videos, this feature has invited even more scrutiny on TikTok when they least needed it. Over the past few months, there's been a number of revelations about the company's data handling. Um, leaked audio from an internal TikTok meeting suggested engineers in China were accessing U.S. user data. TikTok has admitted their staff can access European users' information. TikTok also had confirmed that employees in China can access Australian users' data. And Forbes recently showed just last year, ByteDance was planning to surveil two American reporters using data they had taken from TikTok. Uh, so there's no longer any question or uncertainty about whether or not China can access Western citizens' data. The question becomes, what are they planning on doing with it? Artificial intelligence-based video platforms like TikTok have the potential to not only radicalize, they can also educate and train. Not just basic stuff like bomb making, but also specialized tradecraft such as intelligence gathering and counter surveillance. In 2008, a group took over the Taj Mahal and other luxury hotels in Mumbai, India, killing hostages and setting the buildings ablaze. 169 people died, including six Americans. Lashkar-e-Taiba initially recruited two dozen operatives and culled them down to 10 through a mix of psychological profiling, 
basic combat techniques, and specialized training by former Pakistani military personnel. It required a lot of time and money to conduct that training, much of which can now be provided by video over an app, especially when you're gonna be employing suicide bombers as they did in that incident. Artificial intelligence could identify potential operatives already in a country, even down to a specific neighborhood. No need to sneak anyone across borders as they did with this incident if you can radicalize neighbors right down the street from your intended target. Shorter timelines, lower costs, and reduced risk of discovery would make them far more difficult to stop ahead of time. Now, some people are going to look at this and say, I'm just fear-mongering uh, that this is all you know, just theoretical on my part. Uh, but if anything, I'm downplaying risks a bit because I'm only using open sources here. Americans are already being recruited on TikTok to pick up migrants coming across the border and smuggle them into the interior of the country. Why are they using TikTok to do that? Because the same model has already worked in a sales push smuggling Albanians across the English Channel. And if you saw any of the news earlier in this week, British Parliament decided they had to do something about this now because this has continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So let me be clear, I, I am not an AI hater here, uh, far from it. Uh, I think artificial intelligence is doing incredible things. The threat does not come from computers or even from algorithms. It comes from people. And like any threat, the question is one of intent. TikTok is the world's most valuable startup because their technology is just that damn good. But the Chinese Communist Party is our most critical global adversary, and Chinese law mandates they share data with the government upon request. The CCP has led some of the largest cyber attacks in American history, including the Office of Personnel Management, Marriott Corporation, Anthem Insurance, American Airlines, United Airlines, and the Department of the Navy. Beijing has also clamped down on their domestic Chinese companies, particularly those in the technology arena. Beijing's paranoid, freedom-fearing leadership demands their private sector, quote, surrender with absolute loyalty. Last year, Forbes reported over 300 ByteDance employees used to work for the Chinese government, and many of them still do. ByteDance has an internal Chinese Communist Party committee where employees discuss Xi Jinping thought and party doctrine. Can anybody imagine a company in Silicon Valley doing that here? According to leaked company documents, TikTok censors mentions of Tibet, Tiananmen Square, and the Falun Gong religious minority. Current and former ByteDance and TikTok employees recently told Western media that the company can manipulate content delivery outside of the algorithm on request through a process they called heating, as in heating up certain areas of content, confirming the worst of U.S. and European officials' fears on influence and coercion possibilities. In an article about video games about five years ago, The Guardian cited an important difference between drug and digital dependencies. It said, quote, substance addictions are nakedly destructive, while many behavioral addictions are quietly destructive, wrapped in cloaks of creation. I think that's a hell of a way to describe TikTok. Now, some people are going to take me to task because I'm comparing Chinese Communist Party with the wars, the recent wars in the Middle East. Uh, believe me, I would love to take credit for that. I wish it was my idea, but it wasn't. I'm simply acknowledging what the Chinese themselves have been doing to change their strategy in recent years. In 1999, after Gulf War I, the 
People's Liberation Army published a book by two Chinese colonels. They posited that the whole concept of warfare, everything we understood about it, had changed because of the U.S.'s technological advantage over Iraq in Gulf War I. They foresaw the future as being one based on what they characterized as unrestricted warfare. It's a fascinating book uh, that I highly recommend, but one thing in particular I thought I would quote, uh, quote, technological progress has given us the means to strike at the enemy's nerve center directly without harming other things, giving us numerous new options for achieving victory, and that makes us believe the best way to achieve victory is to control, not to kill. If the CCP came to that conclusion after Gulf War I, imagine how that strategy has evolved since 9-11, since Iraq II, since the Afghan withdrawal, since the 2016 election debacle, and our continued political rancor. Quite frankly, I think we're making it easy for them to steal us blind. For the past 10 years, it's been our industrial technology. Now it's our individual privacy. What, what's going to be next? Our national identity? Could be. On average, TikTok users spend over an hour and a half a day on the app more than any other social media platform. Last year, TikTok had, TikTok's website had more hits on it than Google's. Get your mind around that for a second. More hits than Google. It has turbocharged the successful Tetris and Candy Crush models in an alarming new way that we are morally, politically, and economically unprepared to counter. In February, TikTok opened the first of their transparency centers in Los Angeles. Uh, they are planning additional centers in Washington, D.C., Dublin, Ireland, where their European data center is supposed to be located, and in Singapore. Though it was called a transparency center, uh, TikTok's PR department made everyone agree to not quote directly or indirectly any comments made by any employees during their tour. Uh, Chief Operating Officer Vanessa Pappas and the company's other leaders never actually uttered the word China during any of their on-the-record remarks. I mentioned earlier President Trump wanted to divest ByteDance, uh, TikTok from ByteDance uh, during his administration or risk a national ban. Interesting, when he did that, the Chinese government amended its tech export rules. And, and theirs are very similar to ours. It restricts what can be exported from the country. And most of that's pretty, pretty obvious. Certain types of encryption, you know, advanced laser technologies, things of that nature. But they also added artificial intelligence know-how to their export list because of that. So as a result, text analysis, content recommendation engines, speech modeling, and voice recognition can no longer be exported. Any technologies on that list cannot be exported without a license from the government, according to the executives of ByteDance itself. So much for transparency. Finally, uh, here in March, two weeks from today, March 23rd, TikTok's CEO, Xiao Zichu, will testify before the House Energy and Commerce Committee. This guy's history, career history is fascinating. If you look at his LinkedIn page, it uh, oddly does not include being CFO at ByteDance, uh, but his Crunchbase profile does. Maybe just an oversight. Now, Chu's supporters like to point out that he is a citizen of Singapore. He is not a Chinese national. I'm not sure why that's relevant. Kevin Mayer from Disney wasn't a Chinese national either, and that didn't really help him with the controversy, now did it. After college, Chu spent a couple years at Goldman Sachs, 
and then went to get his MBA from Harvard Business School. And in the summer of those two years, he went and interned at a little startup called Facebook. After he finished his MBA, he went to join DST Global, which was founded by the Russian investor Yuri Milner, where he was described as their point man for China. Some of the folks who have worked the Russian desks for a few years no doubt know Milner's name. He was also an early and large investor in Facebook. Chu led DST's investment in ByteDance and also clinched some of the most lucrative deals in Chinese internet history. JD.com, Alibaba, even Didi, the ride-hailing company. I wonder how he did that being a Singapore citizen, not a citizen of China. From there, he became CFO of Xiaomi, which is a very big uh, smartphone maker in China, very successful. He led their 2018 initial public offering and was promoted to president of their international business the following year. In 2020, though, they had a little problem. Cybersecurity professionals here and in Europe found that Xiaomi phones were sending extraordinary amounts of data to remote servers in Russia and Singapore, even though their domain names were registered in China. The software had recorded all the websites visited, including searches via Google or DuckDuckGo, everything viewed on the newsfeed feature, even when the phone was set to private mode. It recorded what folders were opened, which screens were swiped, including the status bar and the settings page. So what you have here is a CEO with a lot of experience capturing smartphone data and directing it through servers in third-party countries before sending it to China. I would argue Josie Chu was named CEO because his Xiaomi experience demonstrated a mental toughness that Beijing liked. They consider him one of them, part of the whole CCP club. Look at the turnover in the other big Chinese technology companies. And one of the folks on the panel yesterday mentioned this in passing. Jack Ma at Alibaba, Colin Huang Zing at PDD, and even ByteDance's original CEO and founder, co-founder, Zhang Yiming. Beijing cracked down on all the big Chinese tech companies in November 2021, a move that appears to have been sparked by Jack Ma's controversial speech attacking China's financial regulators. CNN uh, suggested it wasn't about, quote, killing the private sector as much as it was taming the excesses of capitalism and embracing the country's history of socialism. Beijing wants a strong international voice for these tech firms, but only when it is completely committed to their policies. Forbes noted a couple of years back that Singapore straddles the divide between East and West. I think Shou Zichu has leveraged that. Uh, if he is at a disadvantage and not being a Chinese national, I think he's taking advantage of that disadvantage. In my opinion, Singapore is for this Cold War what Berlin was for the last one. Or to put it less diplomatically, it is simply a waypoint for data going to Beijing. My unsolicited advice is to delete TikTok from your phones and change every password that device has ever contained. We hope you enjoyed this presentation on TikTok from the first GNSI Tampa Summit, created by Tom Waters, the Assistant Director for Startups and Business Development at the USF Technology Transfer Office.
Tune in to next week's episode of At The Boundary, as our guest will be the very same Tom Waters, as we get a one-year update from him and have a conversation about what has happened with TikTok since that initial presentation. Quick reminder about the next GNSI Tampa Summit, number three, taking place on March the 5th to the 7th at the Marshall Center on the Tampa campus of USF. It's free to attend and features the ninth grade power competition conference and is entitled artificial intelligence in the era of strategic competition. Suffice it to say a topic of monumental significance and our featured speakers reflect that general Brian Fenton, commander of us special operations command, Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google and chairman of the national security commission on artificial intelligence and Craig Martell, chief digital and artificial intelligence officer for the department of defense. We're also honored to have remarks from the deputy secretary of defense, Kathleen Hicks. Visit our website, usf.edu slash GNSI to learn more about the GNSI Tampa Summit 3 and all our future events. And please follow GNSI on our LinkedIn and X accounts at USF underscore GNSI. If you like what we're doing, follow the show on your podcast, let somebody know about it and give us a review. That's going to wrap up this episode of At The Boundary. Each new episode will feature global and national security issues we found to be insightful, intriguing, fascinating, maybe controversial, but overall just worth talking about. I'm Jim Cardoso, and we'll see you at the Boundary.